Thank you once again for the uh, privilege I have to speak here. It's a little different, you know, now. You see, you used to have the, 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 the phone here, right, and you'd be taping on that and, and all that sort of stuff. So, okay, a little different, but we'll, we're, we're good. It's all going to be good today. Trust me on that. The last series of messages I preached from this pulpit was about faith. And I went through uh, Hebrews 11 talking about faith and how faith worked. Today, I, would, I don't know if this is going to be the start of another series or whether it's going to be a one-off. Lord knows. But I would like to speak about grace. Grace. And grace, I might hasten to add, is not a blue-eyed blonde. Grace is a marvellous, wonderful thing. And we will be looking at that today. Before we do, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you now for your word, for your truth, for your love, and most of all, for your grace. We pray now that you would open our hearts and minds to the truth in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Grace. We, we think of the great doctrines uh, that are, are found in Scripture. There's grace and faith and love and mercy. Grace is mentioned 170 times in Scripture. Did you realise that's one of the smallest? Love is mentioned twice as many times as grace. Faith is mentioned more often than grace. Mercy is mentioned more often than grace. And yet grace underpins all these things. Have a think. Those of you who know your Bible, where is grace first mentioned in Scripture? I'll tell you, it's mentioned first in Genesis chapter 6, verse 8, where it says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The first time it's mentioned. How about the last time it gets mentioned in Scripture? The last verse of the last chapter of the last book of the Bible. In Revelation uh, chapter 20, uh, 22 verse 20 or 20 verse 20. I can always get those mixed up. Revelation chapter 22 verse 21. It says the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Grace in the last verse of the Bible. You see, grace is there from start to finish in the Bible. When in eternity to come, we look back on the mercy of God, grace will still be there. When we look throughout all of Scripture, grace is an underlying theme through everything that happens. 
Now, grace is interesting, and it's a little bit like faith, in that it's it's a, a noun, but it's actually more like a, it works more like a verb. Now, if you look back on my messages from Hebrews 11 about faith, you will understand that I kept emphasising that faith does things. That faith is not measured in kilograms or cubic metres or, or yards long. Faith is measured by actions. Okay? Likewise, grace is... If, it, if grace doesn't have a subject to be gracious to, it really doesn't exist. Grace can only exist when there's someone to be gracious to. Love is the same. Love does not exist in a vacuum. Love can only exist when there's someone, something, usually someone to love. If someone says that they are full of faith, full of grace, full of mercy, and they're not doing things for people, I can tell you what they are actually full of. And it's not grace, mercy and love. Because these things only exist when they're doing something. So, grace. There was a, a group of undergraduate wannabe theologians at Oxford and they were discussing what makes any particular religion distinctive. What are the distinctive characteristics of a particular religion? And it's a... a at that stage, it was a very dangerous thing to do at Oxford because shuffling past their door was an overweight, middle-aged, balding man named C.S. Lewis who looked in and listened to what they were saying and said, that's easy. What is the distinguishing characteristic of Christianity? It's grace. Grace is what makes Christianity different to everything else. So, we are going to try, try to get a little bit of a grip and a handle on grace. Now, the first thing to understand about grace is that grace is not experiential. Okay, let me uh, try and explain what I'm getting at here. There is no grace nerve in your body. You cannot feel grace. You cannot taste grace. Grace has no colour. Grace has no smell. It, it's not related to the physical world. It's not something you touch. It's not something you handle. Yet the proof of its existence is found in our world. Grace 
is exist. Grace, grace exists because of what God says about it. Grace, God tells us about his grace and even though we can't feel it or touch it or see it or taste it, its effects last for all eternity. Grace is not progressive. Now, this is an interesting one. Grace is not progressive. God does not give you a spoonful of grace and then a little bit later give you another spoonful of grace. And then a little bit more. You see, we've looked at grace the wrong way round. Have a look in 2 Peter chapter 3. Because this is a verse that people sometimes they have a look at it and they go, oh yeah, well, you know, this is this is showing that that uh, grace is progressive. No, 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 no. We have it, we have it the wrong way round. The last verse of 2 Peter said but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ to him be glory both now and forever oh you say well see that says that you know we get more there's more grace no you've got it like I say you've got it the wrong way around when it says grow in grace the grace doesn't grow we grow. The grace was always there. Now, some of you who are mums have had the job of, of buying clothes for growing boys. You ever done, done that? You know, you turn around and they've grown about six inches and put on about five kilos and it looks like they did it in a day. So what do mums do? They buy clothes that are too big for it, for the kid. And what do they say? He'll grow into it. Yeah, right? You said that. He'll grow into it. That's what grace is like. When you're a new Christian, the grace is all over the place like a cheap suit. We don't know how to handle this sort of stuff. And Peter says, grow into it. You grow. The grace was always around. The grace was always there. The grace is around you and you just need to grow into it. You know, none of God's undertakings are by measure. Think about that. God's grace to you was always there. God's love does not grow. God loves you now neither more nor less than he did at salvation. What's changed is how we love him. It is not his love that grows, it's ours. So it is with grace. Grace surrounds the Christian. It's always been there. It is for us to discover it and find it. 
It is not God who increases the grace. It is us who become more aware of his grace. It is us who become more appreciative of his grace. It is us who become more immersed and better fitting for the grace that is always there. Grace has nothing to do with merit at all. Romans chapter 11. Verse 6. And he says, and, it, and if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it's no more grace. Otherwise, works is no more works. He makes a, a really simple, basic point. If something is by grace, it cannot be of any part work. Otherwise, it's not grace anymore. And if it's done by work, then it has to be holy for, by work. Otherwise, it's not work anymore. You cannot miss, mix work and grace. They can't coexist together because they're just not the same thing. Okay? Grace has nothing to do with merit. Turn back a little earlier to Romans chapter 6. Very familiar verse to, to people. It says, Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now most of you here work or have at some stage. And when you work, you get wages. And nobody can take that off you. They're yours. You work for them. You get them. In fact, the government has a whole organisation called the Fair Work Commission to make sure you get your wages. And so it should be. You work for them. You deserve them. You should get them. They're not a gift. And the Bible said that the wages of sin is death. You've worked for it. You've earned it. You deserve it. And God in his eternal economy will make sure that every sinner gets their wages. Death. Because that's the only fair way it is. You worked hard for it. Well, you'll get it. Wages are earned. Now, the very first use, use we found, term we found for the, the word grace, for Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He didn't earn grace in the eyes of the Lord. He didn't merit grace in the eyes of the Lord. Otherwise, it wouldn't be grace. He, he didn't receive grace because he was special. Well, he, he wasn't better than anybody. You know, let's, when, let's look at it. Let's look over there, back at that Genesis chapter 6. 
Genesis chapter 6, verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. When did Noah find grace? When did that happen? Oh, you think when, when God told him to build an ark? No. It was earlier than that. Noah's, the, nice, the grace that Noah received was that God preserved him and walked with him. Verse 9, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations and Noah walked with God. That was the grace of God in Noah's life that kept him from being as sinful as the rest of the people who were destroyed. That was the grace, the first grace that Noah found. The grace in the eyes of the Lord that Noah found was that God made him fit to get on the ark. The ark was a secondary grace. The first grace was that Noah was justified in God's sight by his faith. That was the grace of God. Do you think, do you think, Christians who are hearing my words, Christians, do you think God's grace started for you the day you got saved? Don't be so foolish. God has been watching over you and His grace has been present in your life every single day. You got up this morning. The fact your heart kept beating is God's grace. You came to this church. Wonderful. The fact that you didn't get wiped out by that big blue semi that nearly ran up your backside when you went onto the, the freeway, that's God's grace. The fact that you are here in a church which preaches the gospel is God's grace to you. Galatians. Galatians chapter 1. Verse 15. Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. Paul's talking about his own testimony here. And he says, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. When did Paul see his gr God's grace being extended to him? From the day he was born. When God called Paul forth out of his mother's womb, he says, that's when God started to extend his grace to me. You think it starts when you're born? Okay. Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1. Okay? Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Jer and the Lord, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. 
And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and I ordained thee to be a prophet unto the nations. Before Jeremiah was born, God sanctified him. That's grace. God separated him. God said, I'm going to make something special out of you. That's grace. Extended before he was born. Sanctified. Made holy by his grace. Listen, the unborn child does no works. Earns no merit. Has no stature. It has no activity that could please God. Yet is a recipient of his grace. God's grace is totally apart from merit. If it was according to merit, it wouldn't be grace. Grace is eternal. Grace is eternal. The riches of God's grace is built on what? It's built on the eternal merit of His Son. Therefore, it must be as eternal as His Son. Grace is eternal. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Jesus Christ. In the ages to come, his grace will be on display in us. Grace is eternal. For eternal ages we shall be trophies of God's grace. Therefore, that grace must be eternal. Since God's grace is extended by an eternal, everlasting, all-powerful God, His grace must be eternal, everlasting, and all-powerful. We're starting to get a little different look on grace. Starting to realize a few things about it that maybe we haven't had a, a, a big grip on before. You see, a temporary grace is no grace at all. A grace that doesn't last isn't really grace. In James chapter 1 verse 17, he says that every good and perfect gift cometh down from the Father of light, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God's gifts are perfect. His grace is perfect and lasts forever. It is eternal grace. Related to that, is to the concept that grace, that salvation by grace is by God by himself. 
You see, salvation, God's grace is by God alone. Who is there who would think that they are as powerful as God? Who would think that they have the strength or the command, the the forces of the universe as God does? Is there someone who thinks that they can justify themselves before a holy God? How foolish! Is there someone who thinks that they can translate themselves from darkness into light? Is there someone who thinks that they can ascend up into heaven and grasp the Lamb's book of life and write their own name in there? Is there someone who thinks that they can do these things without the grace of God? Remember, if it's by grace, it's only by grace. We are told that all those who are not found in the Lamb's book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. And that is something, that is a writing you cannot do yourself. The Lamb's book of life is not an autobiography, it is something written there by God. God alone is able to do all those things. And more by his grace. You see, salvation by grace is only possible because of who God is and what he can do. It's not possible for man to save themselves because they do not have the capacity nor the will nor the inclination. Grace. There's a couple more things about grace. Grace costs. Grace has a price. Really? I thought you said it was free. Yes, indeed it is. Because there are two ways you value a gift. Right? How valuable is a gift? You value it in two ways. You value it by what it means to the recipient. Okay? You, th- you think, you know, you're dying of thirst in the desert. How valuable is a glass of water? What does it mean to you? It means everything. You value a gift by what it means to the recipient. You also value a gift by what it cost the giver. And grace costs. You see, God's grace in salvation is the most precious, valuable thing I possess. For our Lord indeed said, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Because the world and all the things in it will pass away. 
It's only temporary. But your soul is eternal. So the most precious, most valuable thing I have is a soul redeemed by God's grace. That's how much it's worth to me. How much did that cost? What was the cost to the giver? God's gracious salvation cost him the most precious, valuable thing he had, his son. That's how valuable grace is. And that's the cost to grace. Grace has a price to pay. 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. We got riches and he got poverty. That's grace. In Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, verse, starting at verse 6, it says, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Yes, God's grace cost. It cost. One more, Colossians. Colossians 1, verse 20. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, I say, whether they be in heaven or in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. That sort of a change cost. To change you from an enemy of God to being his child cost. Grace cost. It cost our Saviour everything. One final point. Grace must be received. Grace must be received. Unlike some of the other attributes and characteristics we've talked about, grace requires something from those who give it. Now, consider love. You can love someone... And they don't have to love you back. To love someone requires nothing on their part. Indeed, the Bible tells us we're told to love our enemies. We are told to love those who hate us. 
And you know, you've 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 probably seen some young fellow when a girl walks into a room and his eyes glaze over and you know sort of a, he, he looks a little bit funny. Does she have to do anything? No. He's in love. And it doesn't matter her doesn't matter what she does. It's not going to change him. It's true. Just have a look around, you'll see it. You see, love doesn't require anything from the person being loved. Forgiveness. Someone sins against me and I forgive them. Does that require anything on their part? No, it doesn't. I, someone can do something wrong to me and I can go, I could get angry at that, but no, nah, I'll forgive them and I'm not even going to mention it. I'll just put it away. Not even what concerned about it. That's on me. It's not on them. So God's love doesn't require any, anything from us. He loves whether we love or not. God forgives, you know, what, you mean God's forgiven our sins? Yeah. Think about it. How many of your sins were in the future when Christ died? All of them? They're forgiven. All of them are forgiven. Whether you can even remember them or not, they're forgiven. But grace, grace is different. Grace requires something from the recipient. Grace requires that you receive it. The one thing that you can do, which God cannot undo, is to refuse His grace. Remember Noah? He said, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But Noah still had to get on the ark. Oh, the grace that Noah received required him to do something. Not to earn it, but to respond to it. Grace must be received. There's a story about a, a young man who had enlisted in the British Army. And in a moment of foolishness and weakness and cowardice, he deserted. From then on, he realised he couldn't use his real name lest the authorities come after him. So he drifted from town to town and place to place. He couldn't hold a job for long. He couldn't register for voting. He couldn't uh, own property because his name would be traced and he would be taken and punished severely. And then one day, in the post office, he saw a sign that said, Amnesty. And so he went up and he read about it and it said that the British Army was announcing an amnesty for deserters. That what they had to do was sit, was come forward and, and register and that they would be granted 
an amnesty. Well, he thought, this is it. This is wonderful. This is what I've always wanted. So he got pen and paper and he wrote a letter and he said, you know, it, it wasn't really my fault. I was young and dumb and stupid and I listened to foolish, I listened to people who told me the wrong thing and really I, I deserve another chance. And he sent that off. And in due time he received a message that said, you don't qualify. Because this is an amnesty for those who admit their faults. This is an amnesty for those who come forward and claim the mercy of the government. So he wrote another letter and he sent it off and it said, I was stupid and I was wrong and I asked for pardon. There came a letter back that said, I am directed by Queen Victoria, by the grace of God, Empress of India and of the dominions over the seas to grant her servant pardon. You see, amnesty only applies to those who admit their guilt. Grace is only available to those who will admit they don't deserve it. If you deserved it, it would not be grace. The one thing you can do to frustrate grace is to refuse to accept it. There it is. The grace of God. Grace is something God gives and God does with no power and nothing from you except your acceptance. All you have to do with grace is take it. Grace cannot be earned. Grace cannot be stored. Grace cannot be piled up. It is there waiting to be used fresh every day for every Christian and every unsaved person. There is the grace of God. But will you accept it? Or will you try and say, no, this is, this is partly mine. I, I, I want to have a share of this. I want to earn something. Well, you can't. What you will earn will be your wages. And the wages of sin is death. The gift, the gracious gift of God is eternal life. Grace is what God offers you this day. Grace to be saved and grace to live. Grace to enter heaven and grace to live on earth. God's grace is something that I could... Look, I could have preached a sermon on every single one of these points. Don't tempt me, I might yet. God's grace is a wonderful, wonderful thing. 
God's grace existed before there was love, before there was mercy, before there was forgiveness, there was grace. And God's grace will exist through the ages of the ages. Down into eternity past, there will be God's grace extended to those who will accept it. Will you accept? Are you in need of God's grace? Has something happened in your life that you need some grace? Well, it's there. It's waiting for you. If you will reach out and accept God's grace. Thank you.